Welcome to City Council Chronicles. Somewhere out there, a City Council meeting is happening, and you're not watching it, but I am. Come in, come in. We're just about to start the podcast. I'm Michael Carlick, and you are listening to City Council Chronicles. For City Council meeting reviews and more, there is no time like the present to click on councilchronicles.com. Now, listeners, there are some things that are up for debate, such as this. It will finally include dental care hearing aids and eyeglasses but you don't know second that. of all you don't know that, second Bernie. of all we'll come to you in a second i do know when i wrote the damn bill but what's not debatable is that today's sponsor is dig deep research are you looking for funding for that long list of capital improvements for your city or town talk to the grant experts at dig deep who can point you to the most fertile ground and by fertile i mean catching never afraid to get their hands dirty these experienced cultivators use their proprietary database and inside know-how to unearth the most viable funding for your organization. Visit GoDigDeep.com to learn more and get the dirt flying on your next project. On today's episode, get your oxygen mask ready, because we're in the Mile High City, the 5280, the 303. Named after John Denver, the, that's not who it's named for? All right. Named after some other guy, Denver is the capital of Colorado and the home to 716,000 people and 364 marijuana dispensaries. But hey, who's counting? I spoke with the former District 1 councilman, Rafael Espinosa, about his recently ended four-year council term. We discussed time limits, attendance, and one particularly suspenseful meeting where he had all of the power. Let's get to it. Episode 130. Stay tuned. Rafael Espinosa, the listeners don't know this, but you and I have actually known each other for a few years now, and I'm glad we were finally able to get you on the program one month after you left the Denver City Council. Although, truth be told, it was a little embarrassing the way you kept begging me for an interview. (laughs) You were pretty desperate there, my friend. Uh, that is not the way I remember it at all. Uh, what do you mean you remember it differently? I think I'm pretty clear on what happened. No, as a matter of fact, I, I believe I have a voicemail. First saved message sent today at 3.36 a.m. Raphael, it's Michael. Look, I need you to come on the podcast, Okay. I am tanking over here. Seriously, my ratings are in the toilet. I am literally begging you to come on and save me. (sighs) I didn't want to do this, but you left me with no choice. 
And the cat's in the cradle and the silver spoon. Little boy blue and the man in the moon. When you're coming on the podcast, man, please come and join me soon, man. We're gonna have a good time then. I'm bound now, 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 now. Yeah, okay, that's, uh, that's not ringing any bells for me. I, uh... <laughs> I think the only fair thing to do is acknowledge that we'll never know for sure who's right, and uh, we should never talk about it again. So, <laughs> fortunately, Raphael, there is plenty to talk about in the Mile High Council, starting with this. Tonight's Denver City Council meeting will begin in a few moments. Here's a glance at this week's agenda as coverage begins. We'll begin our look at this Monday, January 9th meeting of Denver City Council with a letter from the Manager of Finance stating the city's intent to refund certificates of participation. Now let's take a look at bills for final consideration. There are three public hearings on this agenda. Council Bill 1071 amends the Developmentally Disabled Fund to allow purchasing services. Let me get this straight. Denver Channel 8 has a bona fide host for its council meetings? <laughs> it does. He's a longtime uh, member of the Channel 8 uh, service. Huh, well, this is a brilliant idea, and while I hope he lives a long and healthy life, please let it be known that I have dibs on his job, because <laughs> announcing for a council meeting is what Papa was born to do. So much so that I took the liberty of creating a preview for this episode's agenda. Here's a look-see at what's happening on this episode. First, we'll talk about the public comment. Then Raphael and I turn to the Mayor Council sessions. After that, we discuss attendance and time limits, followed by a public hearing on a high-density development. The podcast will begin in a moment. I'm a lot worried about that content, I mean, that, uh, that agenda, because, um, you know, you're, you're touching on a whole lot of history right there. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, no better to talk about it with me than the local historian of the Denver Council, so I'm sure this will go swimmingly. Now, the first item, as you heard, is public comment at the Denver Council meetings. Unlike most cities out there, your council does not hold public comment during the meetings. Why not? And as a follow-up, how dare you? <laughs> so that's an, that was an interesting debate. I very much supported uh, having public comment be televised. The real reason why, uh, and this was a matter of, uh, you know, it was a public meeting, our operations meetings. Basically, we were advised by the city attorney to not do that huh. um, because once you open a public comment, um, you can't shut it down, essentially. And so and you cannot dictate or control what the individual talk speaks to. Mm -hmm. So as a result, uh, in order to maintain the uh, the ability for individuals to speak openly, but maybe not broadcast things that are are not really good to broadcast <laughs> with respect to content, um, they, the decision was made to hold that prior to the actual televised portions of the meeting. So if I'm hearing you correctly, there was a fear that 
mild-mannered Denverites would be 99% more vulgar, crude, and insulting than all of the other cities that do televise their public comment, and therefore we need to err on the safe side and 86 it from the airwaves. Uh, that is in part the reason. Um, I don't know how candid you want me to be, um, but I, I can... Uh, extremely. This is not on the record at all. I'm just recording <laughs> it and we'll put it out there. I'm going to be honest. There was also concern, right? We, If you pay attention to Denver Council meetings, there are uh, some usual uh, attendees that take every opportunity they can in public comment to speak. That's true. And... The, the rules dictate that, you know, you have to stay on topic. But if you have an open public comment where there is no requirement to be on topic, there was concern expressed by members of council that those individuals would take that opportunity on a weekly basis to um, expound on whatever theories they had. It was an interesting and vigorous debate. I can tell you myself and others were okay with that. We, we didn't feel like people would abuse that mm -hmm. um, privilege. And so – um, this was the more measured approach. Okay, so spreading misinformation is what I'm believing the council was trying to combat, a worthy and legitimate goal. However, I noticed that the pre-meeting comment, although not televised, was on your personal Facebook page. 10% of Denver streets have missing sidewalks, and another 30% have sidewalks that are too narrow for people in wheelchairs, or even parents with strollers. Uh, that was the sound of you live streaming the half-hour public comment session. Uh, now that you are not on the council, is anyone picking up that slack? No, actually, and, and uh, I'll be honest, yeah, I, I took exception to the fact that we were fearful of having public comment. Um, so I took it upon myself to live stream it directly from uh, the dais. But I didn't bother asking permission. I didn't think that it was a big deal because anybody in the audience could do the same thing. Right. Um, yeah, but it did come out, you know, years later at a retreat, hey, you know, you're doing that and you never bothered asking us. And I was like, oh, well, does anyone take issue with it? And there were enough members of council that did that I ceased, um, I ceased making that broadcast. Unreal. Well, thank you for your service. While it lasted, uh, you go down as perhaps the only member of the Denver Council to ever create a video record of that. And uh, I wish I had a medal handy. I have tons of trophies here for myself, but unfortunately none for you. But this verbal praise will have to do, Raphael. <laughs> that All is right. more than you give most. <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. I am notoriously stingy. Moving on. So Denver has council meetings. It has committee meetings, but it also has a unique third type of meeting called the mayor council meeting. So each week, the council members sit around a table and your mayor, who is not part of the council, comes in to chair what I can only describe as a legislative update between the branches of government. Here is what that sounds like. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers! I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! All right, and I'm sorry, I'm being told that was the wrong clip. Uh, okay, I believe this is the real mayor council meeting. Are there any questions? 
Okay, thank you. Thanks, Mayor. You bet. DIA? Aaron, good morning. I have one item here for you. It's a resolution request 0493. It approves an agreement with the United States Department of Agriculture to implement the FAA-approved wildlife, wildlife hazard management plan. Tell us about that. So they monitor the wildlife, wildlife activity, performing wildlife management and mitigation services to minimize hazards to the aircraft operations primarily. So birds, birds. for example, would be one of the best examples That's for that. That's what I wanted you to say. All right, Raphael, first thing, these meetings are typically under a half hour, sometimes under 10 minutes. I don't know what I was expecting, but if this is the time for the chief executive and the legislature to be in the same room at the same time, I would expect a little more give and take. What was your impression of these meetings? Yeah, I mean, I, I wish it were like the clip that you first put it forward, um, because mm-hmm. it is really the the lone chance where council is sitting at the table with the mayor in a public forum. Early on, I did take advantage of that opportunity um, to, to sort of try and raise certain concerns. Uh, I can tell you that that wasn't very well received, but it is uh, if, if it is a place where it could be much more, but it isn't. It's more of a perfunctory thing where people sort of get to pat each other on the back for uh, things that would otherwise go unnoticed. Uh, Interesting. Uh, The word perfunctory does seem appropriate, and I noticed that it was very rare for all council members to show up to these mayor-council meetings. Let's get started with introductions of members of city council. Uh, Joel and Clark, Lucky District 7. Good morning, Mayor Paul Cashman, South Denver, District 6. Good morning, Kendra Black, District 4. Good morning, good morning. I mean, as sometimes as few as three of you would be there, what was your philosophy on showing up for these meetings? And speaking now as John Q. Voter, should it matter to Denverites whether council members are having FaceTime with the mayor and finding out what staff is working on? I think it would be important to have FaceTime with the mayor, but it's not, you know, if you're not going to have a robust discussion on camera right there, then at least have that FaceTime uh, in private. That said, yeah, I was a regular, I mean, I was a regular attendee until I wasn't. Uh And part of that was, um, you know, there was a lot of things that, you know, were on the consent agenda that I took issue with, and I wish we were questioning. Um, but I'm I'm sort of notorious on council for 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 wanting to question things, <laughs> and uh, for me personally, it didn't sit well with me. It made my skin crawl at times to be sitting in there uh, being deferential um, when, in fact, there were things there that I, I really thought should be called out and questioned. Okay, well, I'm notorious for my questioning, too, and what it sounded like bluntly to me that you were saying was, I didn't like what I was hearing, so I stopped participating in the process. That, no, because that is not accurate, because I very much participated in the process, but um, there were more effective forums um, and, and means to, to go about the work I see. than sitting in a 10-minute meeting, um, glad-handing with the mayor. Hmm. All right. Well, look, one of the benefits of having a podcast is that I can create audio montages of incriminating material. It's what Terry Gross used to do before she sold out. (laughs) Now, the Denver Council has 13 members, and yet... 
of the council meetings I've sampled, I had a hard time finding meetings where all 13 of you were present. 11 members present. There are 11 members present. Council has a quorum. 12 present. 12 present. We have a quorum. There are 12 members present. Council has a quorum. There are 11 members present. Council has a quorum. 11 present. 11 members present. We have a quorum. 12. 12. We have a quorum. There are 11 members present. Council has a quorum. There are 12 members present. Council has a quorum. We have nine members present. Council has a quorum. There are nine members present. We do have a quorum. Look, I'm going to try to keep my cool when I say this, but I will say it into a megaphone to make it sound angrier. Why are you people not showing up at meetings? I don't know. That one is extremely frustrating. Um, right. You know, I had the best attendance for about three quarters of my time on council. That said, um, yeah, it's extremely frustrating because uh, by charter, the only thing we have to do in our actual job as a council person is attend 48 of those meetings a year. Mm-hmm. And um, that's your one lone responsibility. Um, why there was such regular poor attendance and particularly by some members of council, is sort of beyond me. Yeah, and with the experience of four years behind you, what is the solution to better attendance? Fewer council meetings? Fewer council members? uh, Remote participation? Uh, Members of council would largely argue time limits. I think you mentioned that in your agenda, is ways to uh, truncate the meetings so that they were uh, more expeditious. But as you can tell, um, the the mayor-council meeting was very brief and had even worse attendance. And so uh, I think doing the people's work should be hard. It should be challenging at times um, and, uh, and, and should require any length of time. I mean, if, uh, if uh, the Constitutional Convention uh, put, set time limits on it, on it, uh, it, who knows what we would have gotten. Instead, what they did was lock themselves in a building without AC, but that was <laughs> that's a different form of okay, motive. So, so you want that to happen for the Denver Council is what you're saying. <laughs> turn off the air conditioning and turn off the heat while you're at it. Let them suffer. <laughs> That'll make your meetings briefer. I, I can guarantee you that. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, so uh, back to what you said. You're bringing up the length of the meetings as playing a role in whether someone shows up. Are you envisioning people getting ready to go out the door and thinking, ah, this sounds like more of a six-hour meeting, so I'm just going to sit home and watch reruns of MASH instead. Well, you don't see it on camera but um, because it, it isolates on individual members, but there are members that don't actually sit on the dais for the bulk of uh, long meetings. They'll excuse themselves um, and watch somewhere else, apparently, and then come back in just for the vote or to make a statement. And so this concern about length of meetings is not was not a widely held sentiment. But there is always uh, an attempt to be sort of mindful um, for the viewing public and the participants uh, to try and keep it uh, somewhat brief. Well, look, we've been talking about the meeting length for a few minutes now, but there is a subject that only Rafael Espinosa can address. And it's a little bit raw, a little bit personal, and we will get to it right after this break. We'll be back with more meeting coverage in a few moments. Stay tuned for the rest of tonight's Denver City Council. Welcome back. 
Raphael on September 22nd, 2016. The Colorado Independent published the shocking revelation that your council president at the time, Albus Brooks, proposed a time limit on council members' speeches. Brooks said, quote, We as a council are doing way too much talking. People want to see us showing restraint and disciplining ourselves. The article went on to state that you, sir, viewed this as an attempt to silence council members who were critical of Mayor Michael Hancock. Now, the reason these two things are connected, the time limits and the silencing of critics, according to the story, is the following. Quote, as Brooks tells it, an analysis of last year's meetings shows that some members have spoken for nearly an hour on single ordinances. He refuses to release that data because he says, I don't want to embarrass certain council members. Sources who've seen the analysis say that Espinosa and Councilwoman Debbie Ortega are listed as the biggest talkers on council. As it happens, both also have been the most outspoken critics of Hancock and his administration. All right, now you have access to Facebook, Twitter, and the microphone afforded by this podcast where you can have as much time as you want. Why was the imposition of time limits an attack on you? And I'll need you to limit your answer to 30 seconds. Go ahead. <laughs> they were trying to silence uh, the protests that I was making on the stormwater fee increase um, <laughs> in, a, in 30 seconds. The real problem with Albus's data at that time was it had nothing to do with the amount of time that this, the individual was speaking, but the amount of time that the individual had the microphone. And what was happening at that point in time is I was challenging public works on um, on a, a drainage project that was, mm-hmm. you know, I was – I was asking questions of the administration. The problem was is if you ask them a yes or no question, they would essentially filibuster you with a long-winded answer like this <laughs> uh-huh. to, to, to try and explain away what the point of the question was. And so, yeah, for a while there, you know, for a couple meetings, it, it, it really took, uh, it took a toll. But it wasn't because I was talking. It was because the staff was talking. Yeah. So you're framing this as a council member is trying to get information and he's being stonewalled. And that is legitimate for you to feel that way. And I'd like to introduce another perspective, which is that you could be an aggressive and sometimes ornery questioner on the dais, possibly as a result of this stonewalling. And I want to illustrate it a little bit. Let's go to the June 27th meeting in 2016. There was a developer in the meeting asking for a rezoning, but there were some specific details of his project that he did not have, and he was not required to have, but that you nonetheless wanted before you voted. And you alone seemed the most willing to rake him over the coals for that deficit. They know that we plan to change the zoning to a URH 2.5, which allows for townhomes or row homes. Do, know what, do they know what that means as far as density is concerned? And I would, height and massing? Yes, they do, or they probably wouldn't have supported but the But you don't. 
You don't know how big this is. You don't know how many number of units this are. Know how many car parking spaces there are. You know roughly that they're going to start at three hundred thousand and go up, but you don't know any specifics. But your the three neighbors do. Is that correct? That's not what I said. No. So what do they know about GRH 2.5 and what it allows? Councilman, I'm not sure if the applicant can tell what the neighbors know. Um, do you have a question for him? And I would also ask if we could not, if we could not be disrespectful, in my opinion, if we disagree with what the answer is and just ask a professional question and get a professional answer. Well. What was this about for you? Were you upset at the individual for how he was answering? Were you upset with the rules for how you were operating? Or were you projecting at all from your own experience onto him? Uh, talk to me about it. It's all of those things in, in that what was happening and how I even ended up on council was... Um, you know, challenging developers to do right um, time and time again, because what they would do is they'd come in and they'd make a request for something, knowing full well that what they, that they didn't have to show anything. There was nothing in our zoning code that required them to deliver on the things that they made. I mean, the, the commitments that they made. And that was super frustrating because what I was seeing was developers showing one thing, but then actually getting entitlement that allowed something uh, far more dramatic. Okay, so what you're describing is a pattern and a system, but this was an instance where some other council members agreed with your point of view, but not with where you were directing your criticism. While I agree with my colleague, Councilman Espinoza's evaluation, What's more persuasive to me is that you've done work in your community and there's no one here in opposition to you. So those things combined, um, I'll, I'll support this. Um, but and I, I don't believe in punishing somebody by denying a rezoning based off of a world that I expect that they have no idea I, I'm expecting it. This particular person who's um, applied for this rezoning along with everyone else who has done it have followed the rules to apply for a rezoning which don't require plans so I really feel that it is unfair to hold them to that standard when it is not part of the uh, rules that they have yeah to. you're not required in a rezoning application to put forward any idea or any notion about how you want to develop but we as council only have to hear your rezoning request. We do not have to grant it. So if everyone is saying this is a good actor who is playing by the rules and your take is, no, this is garbage, did you ever stop to think, well, my problem is with the process, so I should try not to make my problem about a person? Was that ever a struggle for you? Oh, so I, I think there was... They were making the claim because this gentleman actually happened to be a, a personal friend of Councilwoman Black, who you heard there. Um, mm -hmm. They were making it personal. I actually was uh, was always about the development, and that was actually um, that was part of a much bigger strategy, right? Which was I don't have the ability to to tell public, I mean, the community planning development to change those rules. Um, I can myself, but then I have to convince my colleagues on why you would make these changes. So this was all very much an incremental strategy to 
every time uh, this problem presented itself to council to speak to that issue. Mm -hmm. And then that ultimately resulted in the creation of a task force and a subsequent change of the rules, the very rules that I was speaking to. So it was, um, it was, it was a long game of chess in that situation. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Candidly, a lot of the contentious five-hour-long meetings were that way because of development. Zoning requests for new projects turned people out in droves and attempted to divide the Denver Council. I want to walk through one particular project from your final weeks in office. On June 24th of this year, your council was hearing about a high-density, 16-story complex within a residential neighborhood. And on the one hand, proponents loved how it would have a ton of affordable housing in a city that badly needs it. People want to be there. This is what they desire. But yet, if you deny this, you're denying what people actually need, what people actually want. On the other hand, many of the neighbors trotted out the reliable argument that it's too big, it's out of character, and we like affordable housing, just not this affordable housing. To ask us to have to now stomach a 16-story building and another 260 units in that area at this time is just unfathomable. Now, in contrast to the developer you scorned earlier, did this developer bring you on a gold platter everything that you could want for a decision like this? Oh, absolutely not. <laughs> um, okay. This one, this one was tough for me because this one bordered. Um, it was just across the borderline of my district. And in fact, this developer had first approached me one of my hallmarks is that while there were a lot of contentious rezonings in my district when I came in, uh, during my tenure, you didn't see any contentious rezonings in my district because we negotiated those outcomes with the community and with the developer time and time again. And so when this developer came to me, I began to start down that process of let's get to yes. Mm -hmm. And uh, then I realized it was on the other side of the, of the demising line for the district. So I directed him to my colleague. Um, who was very territorial, and you know, I regret it. I, mean, I didn't. Re I wish I would have been able to be in more involved, um, because what I saw as a project. I am not at all impressed with the project. I'll just be straight up honest. Wait, uh, you said that your colleague was territorial, but also. You wanted to be more involved? I mean, are you a little bit territorial too, <laughs> Raphael? I, I suppose we all are. Um, but the difference is, is that the reason why I was able to win success is is I, a 22-year career as an architect, and I was very good at discerning what was – what was uh, what was reasonable and what was bullshit, you know, and um, basically try and explain to my constituents when they were, their ask was a bridge too far and explain to the, the owners and developers when their ask was more than reasonable to get to the get to a quality outcome. You know, I, so I'm just telling you, I lament the fact that I was never uh, involved. <laughs> uh, the tragic story indeed. So at this council meeting, there was a moment in the public hearing that I have not seen in any council meeting 
anywhere except this one. One of the neighbors, who said he was also a developer, dropped this unexpected confession. While there was a time where I lacked awareness of the impact I was having on my neighbors, I can no longer plead ignorance to the injustice that has occurred to my brown and black and low-income neighbors and friends. So I'm here to say to them, I'm sorry that every housing move I made in West Colfax over the past seven years benefited me and was always to your detriment. I'm sorry that I always attempted to maximize return on investment when giving up just a tiny bit of profit would dramatically transform your life while only having a minor inconvenience on my own. I'm sorry that while I've always said with my words that I'm for affordable housing, um, because who isn't? <laughs> We've heard it tonight. Um, but have been resistant against those viable low-income projects in my backyard. I'm sorry for fighting affordable income projects under the disguise of transportation congestion, building heights, and parking issues when I'm mostly concerned with my own personal property value and my own economic gain um, and my fear of people who don't look, act, or have the histories like my own. I'm sorry that you have to move your family again and again and again to make more room for people like me who already haven't made. How did that affect you? <sighs> that is, um, basically, that's the great a great culmination of everything that we've just been talking about, which was, hmm. you know, that, that, that's what I've been trying to get us to address legislatively. This level of redevelopment and reinvestment and displacement and gentrification could have come with far better outcomes. When you're able to buy a multifamily unit, I mean building, and evict and let people stay there while you come up with a new plan on what's going to replace them and then evict those occupied units just so you can put them back on market. Um, you have the conditions for displacement. And here you saw a, a constituent or a, a stakeholder making that same statement that, may, you know, recognizing that, yeah, Somewhere in all that hand over fist money that they were making, they probably could have done better and not pushed a whole bunch of families out of this community, but actually lifted them up at the same time. Hmm. Okay, so here's the thing. Many changes have been made in response to neighborhood input. Even so, this rezoning requires, as I understand it, a supermajority as a result of a petition from homeowners in the area, not renters and not potential working class people who might live in the site. This process, this process is inherently exclusive and in my view should be reformed to become more inclusive. What he's talking about is that because the property owners met a certain requirement to lodge a protest, instead of a simple 7 out of 13 majority approving the rezoning would instead take a supermajority of 10 out of 13. Do you think this is a wise and proportional means of protecting neighborhoods, or is it a frustrating foot on the brake of progress? No, I mean, that, that's, I would do the math differently, but I do think having um, property owners um, approximate to the property is consistent with the Fifth Amendment of the, of the Constitution. And um, to have them have the ability to, uh, a means to have a little bit more gravitas it, it, when, 
when a government's making a decision is a, is a good thing. So you were one of the first council members to speak, and you went through this stream of consciousness. Our policies are failing and have for 10 years. We've, we didn't get this right before, and we're still not getting it right now. I have concerns about the mass and scale, particularly on the east side where we're sort of blindly saying that the eight-story wall is going to take care of itself. No, we're granting this entitlement for the entire PUD. So I am firmly in the I don't know where I'm going with this right now. Sorry. Okay, uh, if you had to vote right then, after you said those words, how do you think you would have voted? Right then, I, I honestly had no idea. I had no idea. Hmm. Well, you did not have to vote then. You had the luxury of listening to everyone else. But here's the reality. The council needed 10 votes out of 13 to pass this rezoning and get high-density, affordable housing in Denver. One council member was absent, about which I made my feelings known earlier, so you were down to 12. However, Councilman Paul Lopez had walked out of the meeting earlier because... I wanted to give the opportunity for this rezoning to be heard before council, therefore I filed the application. He sponsored the rezoning and had to recuse himself, making the council at 11 people. Now, several council members spoke up to say... Um, I am going to support this because it meets the criteria and it's consistent with adopted plans. The review criteria that we have to make our decisions on this project, in my opinion, has met them and exceeded. I think the criteria were met tonight, and I will be supporting this. Um, I do think that um, the criteria have been met here today as articulated uh, by a lot of my colleagues, and so I will be voting to support this. Two councilmen effectively did not give away their position. So it's real concern to neighborhoods. I've got several of my neighborhoods that are pursuing overlays now just because they're concerned about this overdensification. I appreciate all of the people who've come and testified, all the research and information you presented, and uh, it's going to be very interesting to see how we come out tonight. Value, and this is, I think, an exceptional uh, project, but we can't, as a city, ignore our responsibility to deal with how do we keep traffic moving. So this is me saying, however this turns out tonight, that our, our, our public works department, that's the department that is responsible for taking care of these issues. And of course, you were there not knowing where you were going. I wasn't sure, watching this, if the 10 votes would be there. Did you know if the 10 votes were there? No, I did not. Mm. Yeah, but I, I, well, no, no. I, I, I can tell you that, um, and maybe this is speaking a little bit out of turn, but it was after the public comment. Wayne did convey to me that he was going to vote no. Councilman knew. And so, yeah, I could do the math and know that I could effectively kill it myself. So I did know that. And so that was, that's what was weighing on me is do I do what um, people would probably laud me for uh, and kill this project or do I uh, approve it?
Did you have a concern if the rezoning passed? And did you have a concern if the rezoning didn't pass? And which concern was the bigger concern? My bigger concern was if the rezoning passed. I have no concern if the rezoning mm. stayed as is, because eventually somebody would make a different proposal. Okay, so knowing that you were more concerned with the devil you didn't know, let's go to the final vote. Black? Aye. Espinosa? Aye. Flynn? Aye. Gilmore? Aye. Herndon? Aye. Cashman? Aye. Kenich? Aye. New? No. Ortega? Aye. Sussman? Aye. Madam Secretary, please close the voting and announce the results. We have 10 ayes, one nay. 10 ayes, one nay. Council Bill 401 has passed. What took Rafael Espinosa from, I don't know where I'm going with this, to, oh shit, I can be the one to kill it, to, yes? <laughs> so... Uh, now you're going <clears> to – okay. One of my questions uh, to staff was about their um, – <clears throat> their uh, what's called a places map. It's a, it's, it's a future places map. And it, what their future places mapped showed an area that had just been gentrified. What their future places map showed – was not only this property being eight stories in the future, but the properties that had just gentrified. And what I was worried about is we suddenly were now starting down a path of putting new uh, and, and like new pressures on new development and it just seemed extremely wasteful. So I had questioned staff about the accuracy of their map. I was told that the map was accurate. I went back and I looked at it, and I, I basically verified that, in fact, their map was wrong. And so, man, this is a long story. <laughs> so basically what, what finally got me to that point where I was okay with it was no, it wasn't going to start another round of redevelopment in the area that had just been redeveloped you know, um, and another round of displacement because, sorry, <laughs> I don't know if any of that made sense. <laughs> I see why Albus Brooks wanted the time limits, Raphael. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So you got comfortable is what you're saying. Yeah, but if you were watching, you would have seen me clicking away on all sorts of maps and trying to verify some things, you know, because I, I really wasn't I really was worried about opening another Pandora's box in an area that had already been really detrimental to an existing community. Yeah. So. Thanks for listening. And remember, today's podcast is sponsored by Dig Deep Research, a leading cultivator of creative funding solutions. Visit GoDigDeep.com to learn more.